0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: I would just point out that that's an act of love, right? Um, you're in debt, you're in trouble, you end up in bondage to the enemy, but God says you can go, if you have the resource to do so, and purchase him out. What's that a picture of? It's, a, it's the exact picture of what Jesus did for you and me, right? We had a sin debt we couldn't pay. We were in bondage to the devil. We belonged to him. We were wrapped up in it. And we we're stuck in that predicament. And Jesus came and did for us what no one else could do. He purchased us.
0: God gave the Israelites an opportunity to buy out the debt of their fellow Israelites when they couldn't pay it. It's out of the willingness of their hearts to do so. Pastor Bill's going to show you today how that's just like Jesus' willing sacrifice on the cross to pay off the debt of sin you couldn't pay. It's an act of love when you show generosity like that to fellow believers it reflects jesus in your life it's living as an example to help and encourage other christians to grow in their own faith too now here's pastor bill in the book of leviticus chapter 25 for today's edition of a transforming word
1: you shall not lend him your money for usury nor lend your food at a profit so 38. It says, I am the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. God said, look, when one of your brothers is having a hard time financially, God says, you take care of them. You help them out. And when God says, don't loan him money for usury, God said, you can't loan them a hundred bucks and tell them you got to give me 150 back. You can't loan money and tap on interest to your brother. And that's what God is saying. He's not saying if you loan them money, they don't got to pay you back. Um, God is saying, but if you loan somebody money, because that's what the world will do to you—you you getting yourself into a financial jam. The world will loan you some money quick, eighteen percent interest. You know, you're gonna pay me back something on that money. God says to them, when your brother's in need, like they said, man, take care of him. He's your brother, and don't loan him money for usury. Don't give him food expecting more in return. God says, man, take care of him. And he says two things as the qualifying reasons why. The first thing he says, look, I am the Lord your God. Why? Because I'm God. I'm the Lord. And I said, so this is what I want. Second, he reminds him in verse 38, after he tells him, I'm the Lord, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan. God said, look, you were a slave when I got you. I'm the Lord, your God. I brought you out of the land. Of Canaan. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget what I did for you. I brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery to bring you into Canaan. Don't forget that. And here's the lesson here for us, right? Now, for you and me, it might not be that someone's coming and they need money or they need something. They might, though. It happens. People need stuff. There should be a heart about us within the body where we look out for one another and we're willing to help each other out. And there should be a sweetness about that. I've known of things, even with our church body, I've known of things where people that had were secretly willing to bless those that didn't have. And, you know, it happens where, you know, they just do what God would have them to do. And it's a blessing and it's edifying, and needs are met, and nobody's broadcasting. want to say, man, well, you know, uh, I want everybody to know I gave you such and such and such. It's just, it's just done in a way that the person that received it was edified, and God was glorified, and people were taken care of. And I do think that within a body of believers, that should happen. If someone hit coming to a time of need or whatever. I think we should as best we can, you know, step in as family and love on each other in that way. Not looking for anything in return. Not looking, well, I'm gonna help you out this time, but you owe me, you know, nobody wants anything when somebody do you like that. I'm gonna give it to you, but oh, I, it really hurting me. You wanted to be gracious. And so God says, Man, like I want you to do right by one another, because I am the Lord. And you used to be a slave, and I brought you out. And so another application on we talked about it the last time is it might not be a financial need that someone has from me but they might need something else from me that the lord provided and i believe that one of the things i see withheld within the body so often sadly forgiveness people don't let each other off the hook it should almost not even be the case but sadly there are times where they're christian they're like i don't like them ain't y'all go to the same church I can't stand them. How are you going to be? Let me hear somebody say that over here. You know, that just should never be the case. There should never be a case. Like if you Christian, the Lord lives in you. You have the Holy Spirit. How are you going to be like that? You might bump heads with somebody. You might disagree. You might have a little tiff or whatever, but you can't be showing up to the gathering. I, I don't like them. I'm going to sit over here. Don't talk to them. No, I don't want to pray, you know, with them. If that's you, you need to go pray. I mean, I'm putting you on blast. That is real bad sin. That's not like little sin. That's bad. That's the sin that make God mad. So when we gather together, this is what happens when forgiveness flows between us. With all the unique types of people here, you better know that we're going to offend each other sometimes. We're going to step on each other's toes. We're going to hurt. There's some people are going to get a little feelings hurt. And the way we're going to get over it is offended people are going to forgive and offenders are going to apologize. But as a body in order for us to keep moving forward in a way that god would have there's got to be a point at which hey my bad i'll forgive you bro and then people move on and they're released it's not hung over well i remember last year at christmas remember you said that thing to me you know well, i don't want to sit by you um i've had this happen to me over the years of pastor where somebody come up to you and they'll say you know i just want you to know i'll forgive you i'm like well for what we ain't even had a problem that I knew of, you know. Remember, it was a couple years ago, that one time, man, and uh, and they tell you some story about something, you like, I don't even, bro, if you carry this for that long, you know, I'm going to buy you a lollipop, man, Just pray for you, you know, but you just feel bad for them that you carried that for two years? You should have came the day after and said, hey, I didn't like that, and we could have just said, my bad, and we could have been friends all the time, you know. Be careful as a believer that you don't harbor stuff And you're the cause of division in the body of believers. There's not unity with God wants. And be careful that you're not unforgiving when people mess up, that you're not willing to let them off the hook when people are sorry, they messed up, that we would keep just there'd be a flow among the believers. So uh, moving on now, look at verse 39 through 43 altogether says, and if one of your brethren who dwells by you becomes poor and sells himself to you, You shall not compel him to serve as a slave. I'm going to come back to that. So I'm going to go all the way to verse 43 and then we'll come back. As a hired servant and a sojourner, he shall be with you and shall serve you until the year of Jubilee. And then he shall depart from you, he and his children with him, and shall return to his own family. He shall return to the possession of his father's. For they are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. They shall not be sold as slaves. You shall not rule over him with rigor, but you shall fear God. So in this culture back in these days, um, it was the common practice for people to take on slaves. I don't believe God is condoning slavery, but it was the way of the world at this era. I gotta point out that it's not the kind of slavery that we typically think of. Whenever I think of slavery, I think of black people in Africa, minding their married business, and Europeans coming over in boats and taking them against their will and bringing them to the blocks and selling them against their will as slaves and beating them and being rough on them, so forth and so on. That's what I think of. Um, there were two forms of slavery. So there was one form of slavery where if you were broke and you didn't have a way to feed yourself, you could say, hey, I'll sell myself into slavery. There was another way you could become a slave. Um, you could go into debt to where you either go to the debtor's prison or you become a slave to the person you're in debt to. So if I do not come to your field and took cows three different times, and I'm in debt to you for three cows and they all died and I ain't making no money and I'm broke. And you look at me, you owe me three cows. You're going to have to come and be working over here until you work that off. And so you'd be sold into slavery because of your own debt. That was a normal practice of this day. There was also the type of slavery that took place as they went into lands and they took over. Sometimes it wasn't necessary to kill all the people. Sometimes some of those people are going to stay back. And they're going to be servants. They're going to be slaves. They're going to stay back. Instead of us killing all these people, they'll be here as slaves. So that also took place. What God says here among the Hebrews, he says, look, if one of your brethren, one of the Israelites, one of the children of God ends up coming into a hard time and he sells himself to you, God says, you can't make him a slave and you can't deal with him with rigor. What that means is this, you can't be harsh to him. God said, what you do is you bring them on like an employee and there's a dignity to that. God said, you guys are my people and you guys can't buy and sell one another. You guys are my people. And so God didn't want them treating one another. We'll see the way that they dealt with those that were outside of the Israelites, those that were, you know, from the pagan nations. God said, don't treat each other like that. And so he gives instruction here. So I fell in the debt. I'm sorry, Tony. You just in the front, so I'm using you now. If I fell in the debt with Tony, and I got to be there, Tony couldn't be beating me because I ain't doing it fast enough. You know, Tony had taken me on like an employee, and I had to work off my debt. I had to do my part, but I wasn't out there getting beaten, kicked in the field. You know, for not doing it fast enough. So God cared about how they treated one another. New Testament application here. The Bible says that we're to be good to all people, but especially those that are of the household of faith I should be a blessing to everybody but I should
0: especially
1: be a blessing to other believers to the child of God there should be the way that we deal with one another the way that we treat each other because why because we're all made in this image we're all God's kids and there should be a difference and God says I don't want you guys treating each other in that way I want there to be a distinction and that might mean that it's going to take longer for you to get out of it whatever but God said I want you guys treating each other like that and so once again, I think it's important for us as believers that we care for how we treat one another. I think even, you know, some people are blessed even as believers to be bosses. And, you know, people lead differently. Some people lead in a really harsh, demeaning kind of way. In order for them to feel authoritative, they got to really put the smash on everybody else. And other people are able to lead um, from a position of, you know, there's authority, but there's respect and so forth and so on. If you're blessed to be in a position of authority, leadership, be careful how you manage that. You know, be careful how you walk in that. Every parent is in a position of authority. And that's where sometimes it comes out bad. People that know how to act everywhere else don't know how to act with their kids.
0: Well, I said shut up.
1: You don't talk to nobody else like that, but your kids, you know, because you can get away with it. You know, be careful if you're blessed to be in a position of authority, husbands, careful You talk to your wife, be careful, be careful if you're in a position of authority over anybody and God forbid you're in a position of authority in the church, be careful how you manage that because who's the real authority in the church? Jesus. A uh, pastor is just an under rower. You ain't really the boss if you're the pastor. Jesus is the boss and everybody's going to give an account. And how we speak to one another and how we do those that serve and everything else, it matters. It matters to the Lord. So um, as God raises up people and blesses you to be in positions of leadership, be careful especially to other Christians. But I would even say, I think it should also count how I treat non-believers. Um, you Christian? You go church? Oh, you go, right, okay. And I dog somebody else out over here. I don't think that's what God wants either but he is telling them here, y'all will not make slaves of one another because y'all are my people. Um, y'all not going to do that. So I'll give this example. When I was a kid, my mom would leave me and my sister list of chores to do. And every once in a while, I might get in trouble with my sister when my mom was gone or she might have something over me. So she want to make me like her slave. So since I'm in trouble, um, I got to do all her stuff. And this is one we laugh about the most. Um, this is when we were pretty young, and you know we had got these little tape recorders. You know my mom used to do medical transcription, so she had all these little tape recorders around the house. So she gave us one, and so my sister called me to her door, and she was daring me to say all these cuss words. And my mom was gone, so you know we little bad kids. I'm in the house, and I'm just at her door, just saying these cuss words, veins popping out of my neck, with just bam I'm saying all these words, and then she said, "Come here, come here, come to my door," and then she pushed play. And she let me hear all myself saying all them words. And she said, I'm going to let mom hear when she get home if you don't do my list. And uh, I was like, man, she had me. You know, that I was her slave in, in essence, you know. So I started doing, I have my own list to do. And then she was going to make me do her list. And she'll regret this one forever. She came out of her room to use the bathroom. And I ran in there. I got, I didn't even take the tape out. I took the whole tape recorder and behind my house was a market, like a thrifties. I took that thing and I threw the whole thing on top of that building. You would need a fireman to hear that tape. And um, so after that, I was free. I didn't have to do her chores. I gave her back her list and, and I was over it. But she tried to tell anyway when my mom got home. And I remember, you know, for her, it was like for about 30 minutes, I was her slave. And my mom got home and it was just a reminder when she got home that I'm the boss of both of y'all. Y'all don't boss each other. You're not going to be her slave. Y'all both in trouble. My mom's probably element of truth to all of it. So you shouldn't have tempted him to do it and you shouldn't have said it. And we both ended up getting it. So, But in God's economy, y'all not going to make slaves out of one another. I'm the boss here. I am your Lord. So um, once again, we want to be careful how we treat and deal with one another within the body of Christ. Look at 44 through 46. It says, and ask for your male and female slaves whom you may have. Um, so he said, if by chance you have them, that you may have male and female slaves from the nations that are around you, from them, um, that you may buy male and female slaves. So from the other nations, the pagan nations around, if you bought slaves and people to work your fields or do whatever. Um, now he's speaking about that. He says, moreover, verse 45, moreover, you may buy the children of the strangers who dwell among you and their families who are with you, which they beget in your land and they shall become your property. Verse uh, 46, and you may take them as an inheritance for the children of Israel after you to inherit them as a possession. They shall be your permanent slaves, but regarding your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule over one another with rigor. And so God makes a distinction here. For one another, you guys will not rule over each other with rigor. If it's the pagan nations around you and they happen to be taking a slave, God allowed them to do that. Um, look at 47 to the end now. It says, now if a sojourner or a stranger, that's someone that's traveling by, uh, close to you becomes rich, and one of your brethren who dwells uh, by him becomes poor and sells himself to the stranger or sojourner close to you, Or to a member of the stranger's family, after he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brothers may redeem him. This is essentially what's happening here. If one of my brethren was to become poor and his pagan neighbor is rich and buys him as a slave. So one of the children of Israel is now a slave to someone that's a pagan household. God says, you can go redeem him. You can go buy him out of that predicament. Uh, you can go buy your brother out of slavery from that Canaanite household. And that's what he's laying out here that if it's within our land. You can go redeem him and buy him back. Now, the person that bought him or that he was in debt to something is owed to them. So it's not like you can go snatch him out for free. You ain't going to bust him out. But God said, you can redeem him. You can go and say, hey, what did he owe you? How much was it? Um, how much, you know, are you taking him for how long you're going to have him for? it? Let me take care of that on his behalf. I would just point out that that's an act of love, right? Um, You're in debt. You're in trouble. You end up in bondage to the enemy. But God says you can go if you have the resources to do so and purchase him out. What's that a picture of? It's It's the exact picture of what Jesus did for you and me, right? We had a sin debt. We couldn't pay. We were in bondage to the devil. We belonged to him. We were wrapped up in it and we were stuck in that predicament. And Jesus came and did for us what no one else could do. He purchased us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. You were in bondage to the devil. You were enslaved, but Jesus purchased us. He redeemed us to himself. And so here God says, hey, if you have opportunity, you redeem your brother. You buy him out of that predicament. Don't leave him in that situation. And again, I believe it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for the believer. That that was our predicament. That was our position and condition And God purchased us out by the blood of Jesus. And we can be very thankful for that. Amen. And so moving on, it says, um, verse 49, or his uncle or his uncle's son may redeem him or anyone who is near kin to him in his family may redeem him. Or if he is able, he may redeem himself. So if he comes up with some money, he can go ahead and redeem himself. Thus, he shall reckon with him who bought him. The price of his release shall be according to the number of years from the year that he was sold to him until the year of Jubilee. It shall be according to the time of a hired servant for him. If there are still many years remaining according to them, he shall repay the price of his redemption from the money with which he was bought. And if there remains but a few years until the year of Jubilee, Then he shall reckon with him, and according to the years, he shall repay him uh, the price of his redemption. He shall be with him as a yearly hired servant, and he shall not rule with rigor over him in your sight. And if he is not redeemed in these years, then he shall be released in the year of jubilee, he and his children with him. For the children of Israel are servants to me. They are my servants whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So this last section here goes to deal with one of God's kids being brought into a place of servitude to non-believers. God wants them purchased out. He wants you to redeem them. He wants you to get them out. What would this be like for us? I can't be your Jesus. And I can't redeem somebody out. But you know what the Bible says? The Bible says when you pull someone out of the clutches of hell, when you reach out and share the gospel, right, that's the very predicament a non-believer is in. They belong to the devil. They're wrapped up with him. As believers, what we're able to do through evangelism, through sharing our faith, through witnessing, we get to be the ones that are going to see them brought out. We see the condition that they're in. We see that they're lost. And we care enough, just like one of the brothers that is able would have to care enough to go and say, hey, let me redeem him back, right? Right? I believe that for us, there needs to be a concern, there needs to be an urgency in our hearts as we deal with the lost people around us, that we would be those that are speaking up. I think that one of the things that really is a hindrance to the non-believing world is how cool and casual they can be with Christians that have not evangelized them. They feel okay, like, oh, I know a whole bunch of Christians. I've talked to a bunch of people, you know, the same way. And so we want to be cautious that as believers, as those that know the Lord, that we reach out. And so some of you guys did the evangelism class and looked at several different ways that we would go about that. I encourage everybody here that we will be stepping out as often as we can. That we'll be looking for opportunities to speak on God's behalf to see people brought out. And it's kind of like sales. I don't know if anybody here has done sales before, but if we sell sales. What do you get a whole lot of? Get a whole lot of no's. A whole lot of shut doors. A whole lot of no's. A whole lot of I don't want none of that. I don't want none of that here, you know. But that one yes is amazing. You know, And as you share your faith, you'll find that you get a whole lot of no's. You get a whole lot of funny looks and arguments and different things like that. But when you get to be the one to see that person bow their heart to the Lord, it's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. It's, It's an amazing thing to be a part of that. So as we wrap up this chapter, you guys, he began the first verse we looked at in verse 23 saying the land is mine. And he closes up verse 55 saying, and the people are mine. The children of Israel are my servants. God says, I want you to know the land is mine. The people are mine. It's all mine. It all belongs to me. And I don't want you possessing it. Um, God doesn't want them possessing one another. He doesn't want them to be overly possessive of the land as they hand it back and forth to one another. They let it go and they receive it back in the year of jubilee. God says, I want you to hold all this stuff lightly. I don't want you holding on to this stuff. God doesn't want us to love this world, the things in this world. God says, I want you to love me. I want you to have your heart and your mind in heaven. And so in the same way that he trained them up and said, look, you guys are pilgrims and sojourners passing through. We need to be of the same heart and the same mind. Uh, we live in probably the most materialistic society ever. And God says in the midst of that, I, need, I want you to be people whose hearts are in heaven. You're is and things that matter for all eternity. And so as we close, I would throw this challenge out. In all that you do from week to week, working, kids, so forth and so on. And then. Take seven days of your life and all that you do from week to week, how much of what's done within a week matters in an eternal way? How much of what you do with your energy, resources, time, talents, it just matters in this world? And how much of it matters where you're going, where you plan to go for eternity? You want to observe that and take a look at it. I want to make sure that I'm spending some of my best Hours, some of my best energy, some of my best resources, doing the things that matter for all eternity. And I'll close with this quote. My pastor would say it he says only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. And however many years God gives all of us as believers, we have so many years to do whatever it is we're called to do. And whenever that book is closed, whenever those years have ended, whenever it's time that we meet the Lord, we don't get to add a thing to it. But only the things that we did that matter in turn. That's all that's going to be left. The stuff that I did down here that matters down here are going to be left down here. And but the things that I've done that matter in turn, those, those things will be there. That's why Jesus told the disciples, "Don't store up treasure on earth, where moth and dust corrupt, where thieves break in and steal." He said, "But store up treasure in heaven. Right? You're going to be there for all eternity. Store up some treasure up there." And every day you can do that. Praying for people, evangelizing people, giving to the needy. There's so many ways every day we have opportunity to store treasure in heaven. I encourage you guys in the love of Jesus that we would love God, that we would love each other, and that we'd be clear on where our destination is and we'd be sending some treasure up ahead. Amen.
0: You've been listening to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. Thanks for tuning in. Leviticus is often a book that gets overlooked and misjudged. Though it seems to be full of meaningless and insignificant rules, nothing can be further from the truth. All of scripture is so important to understanding not only your faith but also the heart of God. When God created the Ten Commandments, they weren't meant to control. They were meant to help guide. God desires for all his children to understand that life in him can be full and rich. And that's all God wants for you too. But he won't force you to live in him or live by his guidance. You get to choose it. What a gift. If you're looking to dive deeper into Leviticus or other scriptures, we have a helpful Bible reading plan on our website. This can be a useful guide to help you explore the word of God on a daily basis. Look on our website, CalvaryEnglewood.org. Thank you for tuning in today to A Transforming Word. Next time, Pastor Bill will continue teaching through the book of Leviticus. But before we go, we'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider supporting this ministry financially. Any amount is appreciated. These teachings are broadcast on the radio and help spread the good news of the gospel. That's a powerful thing. If you'd like to find out more about how to support A Transforming Word, go to CalvaryEnglewood.org or donate through our app. We're so thankful for your support and more than anything. We hope this ministry has been and continues to be a blessing to you. We look forward to you joining Pastor Bill again next time, right here on A Transforming Word.